Inspirational speaker and writer Barbara Johnson tells this this story about a woman whose day started out very badly. She had overslept, she was late for work, she was rushing around, and from there everything went downhill. It got worse. By the time she reached the bus stop for her trip home after her day of work, She was in a terrible mood. Everything had gone wrong. And as usual, the bus was late and was packed. And she had to stand up. The bus started, stopped, turned left, right, pushing, pulling her in all directions. The day wasn't improving, even as it came to an end. Nothing had gone right today. And then she heard a man's voice up in the front of the crowded bus. And he proclaimed in a loud voice, Beautiful day, isn't it? Because of the crowd, she couldn't see the man. But he continued to comment as the bus made its way through the city on everything that they were passing an ice cream store that he enjoyed, a church, a baseball diamond, whatever it was, as they passed it, he would comment. And his enthusiasm was wonderful, and he was funny, and uh, just it, it was an enjoyable tour through the city that she had passed many, many times before. The atmosphere in the entire bus grew more carefree, more relaxed, as did her own heart. His enthusiasm was so infectious that she found herself smiling by the end of her trip in spite of her her bad day. When the bus reached the woman's stop, she worked her way through the crowd to the door. And as she did so, she glanced at her tour guide. A plump man wearing dark glasses and carrying a white cane. He was blind. As she stepped off the bus, she realized the day's tensions had slipped away. God had sent a blind man to help her see that even though things go very badly, it's still a beautiful day in the Lord. We are to enjoy our lives as gifts from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24. We come now in our study to the first little chorus. You remember back when I introduced the subject of the book of Ecclesiastes. We started at the end because unless you do that you don't understand Ecclesiastes. And then I showed you how there were little refrains all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, we come to the first of those refrains here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. Happiness comes from God... When he is at the center of our lives, 
And we appreciate all that we have as gifts from his hand. There is nothing better in life, we're told, than to eat, to drink, and find satisfaction in our work. The Hebrew verb translated find satisfaction, that's the New International Version translation. Or if you have the New American Standard, it says tell himself that his labor is good. If you have the King James, it says make his soul enjoy good. That Hebrew word behind all of those expressions is a word that comes from the Hebrew word to see or to look. It means that we have to use our sight or our perception to view objects with pleasure, to, ju- to look at circumstances and situations with joy. In other words, happiness is a choice we make in life. It is how we see life. That's why two people can be in the same set of circumstances. And one can be content, and the other is miserable. Same external circumstances. One content, the other miserable. Because it has to do with how they see life. That's this word. There is nothing better in life than to eat and to drink and to see life with joy. with happiness. How we perceive what we experience makes all the difference in this world. Our happiness in life comes from the hand of God. We've just read that expression. And in verse 25, he continues it. He says this also, verse 24, I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Eating and drinking are the normal, everyday activities of life. There's nothing more mundane except at Thanksgiving time. That's not too mundane. But in general, everyone eats and everyone drinks. And we are to find happiness in these daily, regular routines and activities of our lives. One of the huge mistakes we make in life, particularly life in the 21st century America... One of the huge mistakes we make is that we look for happiness in the things we don't have. We think, if I just had more money, or a boat, or a camp, or whatever it is I particularly enjoy, then I would be happy. We seek happiness in a new home, or a new job, you know? We think, my job stinks. If I could just find a new job, then I would be happy. Or at least a new boss, and then I'd be happy. We try to find happiness in a new husband, or a new wife. As if happiness is found in whatever we don't have right now. 
The truth is that we are still unhappy after we have what we thought we wanted and what we thought would bring us happiness. Where do we look for happiness in life? Well, the preacher raises the question here in verse 25, who can be happy without God? And the answer is nobody. We will only find happiness in God. That's it. Who can be happy without God? Whatever you want and whatever you think will bring you happiness. The whole point of Ecclesiastes, he explores each one of these things. We've already looked at wealth and possessions and jobs and all of those kinds of things. He's already looked at. They don't bring happiness. They don't bring the lasting joy. Because apart from God, you'll never, ever find it. British theologian C.S. Lewis put it this way. A car is made to run on petrol, he was English, gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Except some are modifying that now, right? (laughs) But, now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirit. Our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself, because it is not there. There is no such thing. He's the fuel we were made to run on. We were designed by God, created by God, to find happiness in Him. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's the fuel that we were designed to live on. He's the the place and the person, would be better, where we will find happiness. Henry Ward Beecher, a preacher in the 1800s, liked to use this analogy. He said, suppose you have a a container full of sand, and in the sand are, are little iron particles, and you are trying to find those little iron particles and get them out of the sand. You use your eyes, you use your fingers, you feel around in the sand. But it's very difficult to find those iron particles in the sand with your fingers and your eyes. And then suppose that you had a magnet and you passed it across the sand and it pulled the iron particles right out of that sand to the magnet. He said, the unthankful heart We're just coming through Thanksgiving season, right? But he said, the unthankful heart is like our eyes and fingers trying to grope through the sand to find these little particles of iron. The thankful heart, the one who appreciates God and what he has done for us, is like the magnet. 
that draws out the particles of iron to it. Only in God's sand, he said, the particles are gold. You find those blessings from God when you have a thankful heart for the ones he's already given you, is his point. That's Ecclesiastes. Who can find happiness apart from God? When we start thanking him, when we start living for him, and we appreciate his goodness to us, it's like the magnet that brings out, in this case, the gold of God's blessings. And we see more and more and more. But the unthankful heart just gropes around trying to find happiness in the blessings. Men and women, your jobs will go better if you stop wishing for the job you don't have and start thanking God for the job you have. Husbands, your, your marriage will go better when you stop wishing for the wife you don't have and start thanking God for the wife you have. Or flip it around, wives. Works the same way. Whatever it is that you think will bring you happiness, start thanking Him for what He's given you already. The principle is simple. God is the fuel of our happiness. And as we thank Him... We see his blessings in life. Second principle this morning. The simple pleasures of life are God's gifts for us to enjoy. Verse 26. For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. And this too is vanity and chasing or striving after the wind. All right, the verse sets up this contrast, right? Between those who please God and those who don't please God. In this case, he calls those who don't please God sinners. Sinners are those who pursue life apart from God. But those who please God are those who follow God. We please God when we put God first in our lives. And we seek to obey His will in all we do. That's what he says at the end of Ecclesiastes, right? The secret to getting ahead in life as God designed life to be is not to pursue our own path, but to follow God's will and seek to do what pleases him in life. The word translated to please God here literally means to be good in his sight, in his eyes, literally, or to, or to be pleasing before his face. The point is that we please God when we are good in his estimation, not ours, right? <laughs> we, we can think we're good, but if we're not good in his estimation, then that doesn't, that doesn't please him. We please God when we are good in his estimation, the way he sees us. We please him, then, when we do as he pleases. And God has given us many, many instructions right here in this book on how to please him, has he not? 
There are all kinds of instructions on how to please God. So when we obey, when we do His will and what He tells us will please Him, and when we do it with the right attitude, because it's not just doing it, but it's doing it with the right heart, then we please God with our lives. Now, we have to be careful here, because many people try to please God by being very religious and very devout, looking right and acting right and doing certain rituals and those kinds of things. But they lack any heart for God, and that doesn't please God, just because we do certain things. In the Old Testament, the priests were always performing the sacrifices. They were always going through all of the rituals. They were very religious, very devout people. But God says, I can't stand your sacrifices. They mean nothing to me because your heart is not oriented toward me. So just doing certain things doesn't please God. But doing them with the attitude that we want to love you and honor you and please you, that's what pleases God. We can't earn God's favor by our goodness. So it is for us to accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his gift to us for our our sins, as an act of God's grace, because we don't earn it, and do what God wants us to do as an act of love in response to what he has done for us. We obey God because we love God. We please God when we enjoy God and all he is and does. I received a wonderful little coffee mug at the anniversary celebration last month, and I love what it says on that mug. Lord, I have nothing to do today but to please you. You can't get any better summary than that. Wake up every day with that focus. Lord, I have nothing to do today but to please you. Because you don't. And as you please him... Then, he in turn carries you through that day. That is the foundation for all true fulfillment and satisfaction in life right there. We will be content with God when we start every day with that focus, that prayer. We live to please him with our works, but even more with our hearts. And when we please God, then God, he says, verse 26... When we please God, God gives something to us, right? His gifts come to us. And what are God's gifts in this verse? There are three of them that he mentions in this verse. God gives us wisdom, God gives us knowledge, and God gives us joy. Now, wisdom. Wisdom is skill in living in the Old Testament, It is the capacity to do well in life. It is the capacity, the ability to make good decisions in life. The secret to getting ahead in life as God designed life to be lived is to have wisdom. To make good decisions in life. Wisdom is the ability to live well. And God gives us wisdom. 
We don't earn it, and we don't have it as a natural ability. God gives us wisdom. It is a gift of God that comes when we seek to please him. Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, or honoring God, if you will. When we honor him, when we put him first in our lives, then God gives us wisdom to live life well. That's the first gift that God gives us when we seek to please him. The second gift God gives us is knowledge. Knowledge here, this particular concept of knowledge in the Hebrew text here, is is the ability to understand how to apply moral principles to life, particularly in our relationships with one another. So God gives us the ability to apply his truths to our lives as we relate to him and to others. So in order to find contentment in life, we need to have healthy relationships. We need to know one another in the right ways. Lots of people are very moral and very religious, but they don't know how to get along with anyone else. (laughs) Lots of people are very zealous, very aggressive, but they don't know how to relate to others. They hurt and offend people. That's not God's kind of knowledge. That's not the knowledge that he's talking about here. It's not just information, facts and figures. It is the knowledge of God's principles, his moral principles and how to live life, but the ability to take that and relate it to one another in life so that we have healthy relationships with one another. And then the third gift, we're given wisdom, we're given knowledge, and we're given joy. I want you to notice that third gift. It's a gift, remember. The Hebrew word means a feeling of happiness or pleasure. It is a state of happiness, actually, not just a moment. It is a state of happiness that comes from enjoying the pleasures we experience with our senses. That's what the Hebrew word here means. So God gave us the ability to feel, to see, to touch... To smell, to taste. And the state of happiness that comes from enjoying those gifts is the gift that he gives to us called joy or happiness here. Happiness then is a gift from God. Are you happy? It's from God. We will please God the most when we enjoy his gifts to us. The giver's pleasure is felt in the receiver's pleasure. We won't please God if we don't take pleasure in God's gifts. Now, I mentioned this analogy, I think, last Sunday, but it bears repeating. I mean, as a father, I enjoy giving good gifts to my two girls, my daughters. But if they take that gift and they throw it in the trash... or they junk it, or they don't like it, or they don't want it, they don't enjoy it then what have they done? They've robbed my pleasure. (laughs) I no longer take pleasure in the gift I've given them or in the gift I've given to them. They've taken away my pleasure by not being pleased with my gift to them. And so it is with God. When we fail to enjoy his gifts to us, 
He wants us to enjoy them. This is how he gives us the gift of happiness. Where will we find happiness? You will find happiness in enjoying God, he says in this text, in the simple pleasures of life. The eating, the drinking, the finding satisfaction in in the work, in the job that you do, in the life that you live. Those simple things. And as you enjoy those as gifts from God's hand, and we thank him for them, then we bring him pleasure by doing that, and we experience pleasure from him as a gift. It's a beautiful circle. More than 60 scientists back in the 1990s were given millions of dollars to, to fund their study to help humanity find happiness. Millions of dollars, and we're going to help humanity find happiness. The U.S. standard of living has increased since World War II, But there has been no increase in the number of people who regard themselves as happy. In fact, there are fewer percentage-wise than there were back then. U.S. News & World Report on the subject says, Once income provides basic needs, after that it does not correlate to happiness. That's what they found out. Nor does intelligence nor prestige, or sunny weather for that matter. Sorry if you want to go to Florida. It doesn't correlate to happiness. Many years, and in fact millions of dollars, have been spent studying and treating depression. And they have succeeded in reducing most people's levels of sadness, the report says. But those people are not necessarily happier. They've just lowered their level of sadness. Researchers have found that happiness comes from some very basic ingredients in life. And here they are. Spirituality. Having a healthy spiritual life with God. Family. Friends. Having hope in life a purpose, a reason for living, helping others. There's, there's something that, is, that correlates very strongly to happiness when we help others to achieve things or to, to, uh, to feel good. And, and that, that heartwarming process helps us be happier. And the big one they found was gratitude. People who made a daily or frequent practice of being thankful for what they had were not only more joyful, they wrote, they were healthier, less stressed, more optimistic, and more likely to help others, unquote. You know what? They could have saved millions of dollars and read Ecclesiastes. Because that's his thesis right there. The teacher asked her students to list what they thought were the seven wonders of the world. The children in the class cast their votes for, you know, all the expected wonders, the Grand Canyon, the the Great Pyramids of Egypt, the Taj Mahal, um, China's Great Wall, and, and all of these things were listed. 
While gathering the votes from the children in her class, she noticed that one girl had not turned in her list. And so she asked the girl if she was having trouble with her list of the, of the seven wonders of the world. The girl replied, yes, a little. I couldn't quite make up my mind because there were so many. The teacher said, well, tell us what you have on your list and, and maybe we can help you. The girl hesitated and then she read, I think the seven wonders of the world are, number one, to see, number two, to hear, number three, to touch, number four, to taste, five, to feel, six, to laugh, and seven, to love. That's Ecclesiastes. Third principle, God judges sinners with the frustration of working for God's people. God gives his gifts to us based on whether we are pleasing him or whether we are sinners. I mean, the one who pleases God is one who accepts Christ as his Savior because then God justifies us, he he makes us right, and seeks to then follow the Lord in life. The sinner, by contrast, is one who does not please God and seeks to go his or her own way in life. And God judges us based on that fundamental choice in life, that decision of life. Do we seek to please him or do we seek to please ourselves? Paul in Romans chapter 3 says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way out is to accept Christ as God's gift to us. We can only please God if we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. And everyone who does not trust Christ remains a sinner by definition. And God judges the sinner by giving him or her certain gifts as well. Ecclesiastes 2.26. Let's look at it. Alright, he's given wisdom and knowledge and joy to the one who pleases him. The only way you can do that is through Jesus Christ. While to the sinner, the one who does not please him but lives for himself, he has given the task, the ordeal, the job of gathering and collecting so that he may give to the one who is good in God's sight. And this too is vanity and striving after wind. So God gives the sinner the job of gathering and storing up wealth. Does that sound like a curse to you? A judgment? It is. Why does God give the sinner the job of gathering wealth and storing it up? It sounds like a blessing, not a curse, until you read the rest of the verse. God gives the sinner, the one who's living for himself, the job of gathering and storing up the wealth of this world in order to hand it over to the one who is pleasing God. This process then of working to gather the wealth of this world, to store it up, only to hand it over to the ones who please God, that is total vanity. That's chasing after the wind. If you're living for yourself, right? If that's what work comes down to for the unbeliever, he's living for himself, he's gathering for himself, only he's going to die one day, right? He can't take it with him, he's going to leave it. He's going to hand it over, and ultimately, we're told, it's going to go to God's people. That is totally frustrating. 
Can you imagine being the head of a Fortune 500 company and thinking that everything that you're working so hard to get for yourself is just going to be given over to those dumb poor Christians anyway someday? God's people. That's what he says. The unbeliever works hard to get it, get it all, only leave it all to God's people, and then talk about a wasted life. Now, let me tell you a little preacher's story. You know what preacher's stories are. They're stories that have been around for a long time, and they come and they're adapted. They show up in different ways to illustrate a point. So here's a preacher's story. An atheist was walking through the woods admiring all of the accidents that evolution had created. He was admiring the trees and the mountains and the river flowing by. And as he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the grass and the trees and the bushes behind him. And he turned and looked and there was a giant grizzly bear standing there. And the grizzly bear charges toward him. And so the atheist starts running as fast as he can to get away. He looks over his shoulder and the grizzly's closing fast. And he's running as hard as he can. His heart's pounding. He tries to run faster, only he trips and he falls to the ground. And he rolls over and he tries to get up, but the grizzly bear's right on top of him, raising a giant paw to slam his head to the ground. And the atheist looks up and he says, Oh my God! Time stops. A bright light shines down. The river stops flowing. There's silence in the woods. And the grizzly freezes. And a voice from the light says, You have criticized me all these years. You have told me that I didn't exist. And that all of this is a giant cosmic accident. And now, when you're in danger, you call out to me? Can I then now call you, you one of my believers? And the atheist looks up at the light and he says, Well, it would be hypocritical of me, after all of these years, to become a Christian at this point in my life. But could you at least make the bear into a Christian? Very well, the voice from heaven says, I'll make the bear into a Christian. And the light disappears. The forest sounds start. The river starts running. And the bear takes his paws and he puts them together and he says, Thank you, God, for the food that I am about to eat. (laughs) Amen. That's a Thanksgiving story, right? (laughs) Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 22 reads, The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. The atheist is going to give it all up one day. And we will enjoy it. 
Haggai chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8 makes this very bold prediction. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord of hosts. The, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Who owns Bill Gates' money? God. Who owns Trump Towers? God. The silver, all of it in this world is mine, God says. And the gold is mine. One day, one day I'm going to shake this universe. And in the age to come, my temple will be filled with the wealth of the nations. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. Peggy Noonan describes an encounter with an American CEO. And she's talking with this head of one of the major American corporations. They're in his window-lined office there in the center of Manhattan, looking out across the skyline. He has it all. And he tells her that it's annual report time. And he's looking forward to reading the reports of his competitors. Why, she asks. You mean, you have your annual report for your company, but you spend your time reading the annual reports of everybody else's companies too? He said, absolutely. I love looking for that. I love reading all of that. And he said he always flips to the back of the annual reports of all of his competitors, all of the other corporations, to see what the other CEOs got as part of their package. You know, did they get corporate jets? Did they get private helicopters? He said, we all do that. We all want to see who has what. And Peggy Noonan writes... This man creates the jobs that create the world in which we live, and yet he can't help it. His mind is on the jet. That's all he's thinking about. Well, guess what? That man is going to die one day, and the jet, along with everything else, will be left behind. Not only that, it belongs to God, and God will give it to some poor Christian for God's glory. What a waste. This man has lived his life for those perks. And God's just going to give them to somebody else. His life is chasing after the wind and he'll give it all away in the end. So, if you're tempted as a Christian to covet, you know, we're not supposed to covet, right? But if you're tempted to covet the houses and the camps and the wealth of your neighbors and friends who do not follow God, just remember, God's going to give it all to you anyway. You say, well, when? (laughs) How about we pass it along sooner? When does God pass that stuff along? By the way, there's Old Testament precedent for this, that sometimes God does that in life, right? Remember when the Israelites left Egypt, they'd been slaves for 400 years, right? What did the Egyptian, the wealthy Egyptians do? They gave them all the stuff. Go! Take it! Just get out of here! Take it all! They left wealthy people 
with the wealth of Egypt. So sometimes God does that in life. But I'm not telling you he's going to make you wealthy in this life. When does God do that? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 1. Because we move right into the next chapter. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under the heavens. (laughs) Well, there's a time when God does all of that. Sometimes in this life, but it's all in his timing, isn't it? We live by faith in him. There's a time for everything. Now may not be God's time, but God's time will come. And we know that in the age to come, it's all reversed. And we, who follow God, enjoy the blessings of this universe. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? But think about it in the reverse. The ultimate frustration in life is for those who live to gather everything for themselves now, knowing that one day they'll give it all up to those who live for God, who will ultimately possess the wealth of this world in the age to come. In his book, Living Life on Purpose, Greg Anderson shares the story of one man's journey to joy. His wife had left him, divorced him, and he was completely depressed. Life was bad. He had lost faith in himself and in other people and in God. He found no joy in living at all. And one rainy morning, This man went to a small neighborhood restaurant, a diner for breakfast. And although there were a few people in the diner, it was very quiet in the diner. Nobody was talking. Nobody was, seemed happy about anything. And it fit his mood beautifully anyway. So this miserable man sat there at the counter stirring his cup of coffee. In one of the booths not too far away, A young mother was there with her little girl. And they had just been served their breakfast when the little girl broke the sad silence in the diner by shouting really loudly, Mama, why don't we say our prayers here? The waitress, who had just served them their breakfast, turned around and said in a loud voice, Sure, honey, we pray here. Will you say a prayer for all of us? And then the waitress turned and looked at the rest of the people in the diner, including this man, and she said, Now all of you, bow your heads for this little girl to pray. And everybody bowed their heads for the little girl. She folded her hands. She said, God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. Amen. The atmosphere in the diner totally changed, the man said. People began to talk with each other. Strangers began to talk. The waitress said, we should do that every morning. All of a sudden, this man said, my whole frame of mind started to improve. From that little girl's example, I started to thank God for all that I did have and stop majoring in all that I didn't have. I started to choose happiness. His circumstances didn't change, but his life turned around, all because 
of a simple prayer from a little girl. God is good. God is great. And we thank him. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving. And that's the perfect frame of reference. And this Sunday is sort of kind of a transition Sunday. We've got the Advent candle going. We've got a praise service tonight at 6 o'clock, right? And we're thinking of Thanksgiving and we're thinking of Christmas. And really Thanksgiving is, is kind of the, a great foundation for Christmas. Give thanks to God for all he gives to you. And then unwrap the real joy of Christmas. And that's found in Jesus Christ. Give your life to the Lord. If you have not done that, if you're seeking happiness in all sorts of other things, you'll never find it. Oh, momentarily you will. It'll feel good for a while, but it won't last. Unwrap the true joy, and that is found in Jesus Christ. Give your life to the Lord. Let Him take control. And you will begin to find happiness in life, no matter what your circumstances are. For it is a gift from the Lord to all who please Him. Father, there is great joy we can have as we give ourselves to you. And as we live for you instead of ourselves, you in turn give us wisdom and knowledge and joy. Our happiness is dependent upon you, Lord. And we give you thanks today for all of your blessings to us. Fill us with your gift of joy today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.